Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, my name is Dale. I shared that earlier, and I want to encourage you to grab your notes. We are going to dive right in. We are in week five uh, of our series calling uh, it the best year yet. And what we're doing, uh, for those of you who may be joining us, we're using the natural momentum that happens at the new year to invite a conversation about what it would look like. What are the parts and pieces that are connected if you and I are really honestly going to experience our best year yet. And so we know that uh, this is a, a time in our lives, and we know that the beginning of a new year is always a space where there are a lot of ideas floating around what that might look like. And so we want to have a conversation too, and we want to talk about that. So that's what we're doing in this series. And uh, we're taking our lead from the Apostle Peter, And we're letting him help us, and uh, we're using as a theme verse, and for those of you who don't know what that is, we're trying to choose across the year in all of our different series, we're trying to key in on one verse, a verse of Scripture, maybe two verses of Scripture, to use as a bit of a theme verse or a memory verse to help us along the way. And so we're building the series around that, so we're using this verse, I want to put it on the screen, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And so Peter has a particular perspective about what is involved in us experiencing our best year yet. And so we're having this conversation, and uh, so far what we've talked about, first of all, is simply this. God's promises. Say that with me. God's promises. And here's what we've learned about God's promises. They're perfect. They're complete. There isn't anything else we need to add to God's promises. In fact, one of my favorite verses of Scripture puts it this way. All of God's promises, the writer says, are yes in Jesus Christ. So when we see Jesus, we are seeing the fulfillment, the exact fulfillment of all of God the Father's promises. And we're learning that they're perfect. And in this sense, the word perfect means complete, like there's nothing else we would add to them. But then uh, Peter goes on and he says this, there's first of all God's promise and secondly, there is our faith. Say that with me, our faith. And here's what we're learning about our faith. It is incomplete. It's not where it needs to be. It has to grow. And so part of what we're doing in this series is we're, we're, we're showing, uh, in I think a real honest fashion, we're showing the disparity between God's promises and our faith. And so Peter is really inviting into this conversation that we're having this morning, this idea that there is a gap. And so we have to measure that gap, we have to shrink that gap, and that's where this third part comes in which is the connection and the gap is filled by what we would refer to as God's power and our effort. There's a part of this equation that God has already put in motion for us. And one of the things we like to think about in terms of the Christian experience is that God has done a lot. God has even gone first. 
So, you know, when we, we get to Christmas and we think about the incarnation and Jesus coming to us, that God is always taking the first preemptive step in our direction, but that he invites us then to join us, right? He invites us to join us in that relation, uh, join him in this relationship. As there, that is our effort. And so what we've been doing is, uh, Peter puts it this way, because there is an effort on our part, we have to add to it. And so this is what we've been talking about. So we had a conversation a few weeks back about faith. And we talked about what faith is and what faith is not. Then we had a, a conversation about goodness. And the idea that Peter's trying to tap into is that as we are growing in our faith, we should just become, if you will, increasingly uh, better people, right? We should, uh, we, we should just be more loving, more filled with grace, more, more filled with understanding. This is kind of what it means to grow in our faith, uh, that our goodness becomes genuine. I was thinking about this a few uh, weeks ago, really, it was at right at the new year. Actually, it was on the 31st of December. Uh, I was uh, building a, a project, uh, doing a project in my garage, and I had to run to Home Depot. How many of y'all, when you do a project, you have to go to Home, Home Depot like 95 times, right? And so now I have a little strategy I'll share with you. I just buy everything I think I'll need, then I can take it all back. So that's kind of the idea. So I was over at Home Depot. And when I was pulling into Home Depot out on State Road 7, I thought, oh, I, I remembered there's this Chick-fil-A restaurant, you know, right in, right in front of there. And I thought, oh, my son-in-law has given me a free uh, card that I can go in there and I can just, I can get lunch for free. And I opened this little compartment in my truck and I found all these cards I'd forgotten about that my son-in-law had given me. And I thought, and I looked at the card, I turned it over on the back of the card. This is what it said. It said that cards expire today on the 31st of December. And I thought, well, this is perfect. So I grabbed this stack of cards and I go into Home Depot and I thought, you know what? Anybody that I have eye contact with, I'm just going to give these cards away. I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to give all these cards away. Everybody can go have lunch on, you know, on my son-in-law right? And so I'm going around doing this, and, and, uh, and then I, you know, I, I, I round a corner, I come down this aisle, and here comes a Grant Linda. These are part of our uh, West Campus. I gave them cards. I said, here, go have lunch on my son-in-law. These expire today. I'm giving them to people I don't know. I'm just going around the store. I am like Santa Claus on the 31st of December. And so I save the last card for me. I go over to Chick-fil-A. Now listen to this. I get my free sandwich, and I look across the restaurant, and I see Grant and Linda, and she's, she's laughing at me. And I thought, well, I don't know what she's laughing at me. I just gave her a free lunch, you know? And, and she motions me over, and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here to, re I got my lunch like you got your lunch. And she goes, our card was expired. And then it, then it just dawned on me that I have been uh, going all through Home Depot, I had the only card that was not expired. <laughs> so I'm going around manifesting fake goodness everywhere. And then I realized on the back of that card that you see right there is my son-in-law's name. And I thought, doesn't matter, it's him, not me. But when, when Peter is writing, he says, we're going to add certain things to our faith. We're going to add to our faith, uh, you know, goodness. And then he says, we're going to add to our faith knowledge. And this morning, uh, you know, we're going to have a conversation. And we're going to add to knowledge 
self-control. Say that with me, self-control. And you'll notice there in the words of Peter, he says this, for this reason, he says, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Now, here's what's interesting we're learning, and this is what I want us to put our thinking caps on uh, for just a moment. Self-control, if you think about it, is one of those values that in many ways looks like is eroding or absolutely disappearing in our culture. How many of you would agree with me? We don't seem to be living in, in days right now with respect to our, our actions or our words or our conduct lots of self-control. It's a struggle. And so it's kind of interesting, and the reason we showed that video, that's a cute little video about marshmallows, isn't it? Uh, and it kind of taps on the idea of self-control, but I want to share with you a little bit of a deeper understanding around that video. The video that we showed you was actually a repeat of an experiment that took place in 1960 by a Stanford researcher by the name of Walter Mischel that has become quite famous. And Dr. Mischel began to uh, experiment with this idea around self-control, and he, and he gathered a group of his daughter's friends from their school, and he began to evaluate them on what he termed a four-point scale in delayed gratification. Because self-control is always connected to delayed gratification. And so he took these students and he began to evaluate them and he did the experiment and he was moving on in another fashion. And then within the next year, he happened into a conversation that his daughters were having across the year with one another when they were talking about some of their friends. And when they were talking about some of their elementary school friends acting out, listen to this, he began, the names were familiar to him. So he goes back into his research, and here's what he discovers. He discovers that uh, every one of the friends that, that uh, his daughters were mentioning were acting out in school were the very same kids who failed the test in, when he gave them marshmallows in terms of delayed gratification. And he thought, wait a minute, that's interesting. So he began to study them further, and over the next 10 years, he uh, invited them into a conversation and began to exper uh, study uh, their behaviors. And this is what he's, he learned. He learned that those who had exhibited higher levels of delayed gratification, listen to this, these were the ones who had better grades. These were the ones who had better test scores. These were the ones who were ended up more popular and well-adjusted in school among their peers. These were the ones who ended up less likely percentage-wise to become involved in any kind of drug activity. And the ones who held out in terms of delayed gratification uh, for uh, the entire 15 minutes, these were the ones who scored on average, on average, over 210 points higher on their SATs had higher levels of happiness and overall adjustment in all of their life. And here's what he discovered. We should all stay away from marshmallows. No, that's not what he discovered. Here's actually what he discovered. What he discovered was that he learned that delayed gratification, self-control, is actually the keystone value 
upon which all the other great values that we would add to our lives and aspire to in our lives are built upon. And here's what you and I know as a base of this study. Here's what Dr. Mitchell didn't have to tell us. Self-control matters. It matters a lot. And this is why uh, Dr. Mitchell studied it. This is why Peter referenced this. Now, here's what's interesting. I want to connect this something, especially to our moms and to our dads. This month on all three of our campuses, our Latino campus, our East campus, uh, and our West campus, uh, this month we are... We are celebrating the ministry of our Kids of Hope. And you can go out into the lobby and you can see different areas where we're inviting you to, to, to serve. We're inviting you to, to take the name of a, of a child in our Kids of Hope ministry and to pray for them in this time. This is a time. And here's the thing. Self-control is a learned value. And so if you and I want to do better in this idea, here's, here's really literally what Peter is saying. Peter is saying we want to allege our faith goodness. We want to add to our goodness knowledge, and we want to add to our knowledge self-control. Why? Because it is this value that kind of ties all these other things together. And so we know this as parents. You've got to teach this to your kids. You've got to teach your kids delayed gratification, if for nothing else. I mean, just because of the results of that study. But, but, but Peter is saying there's actually a lot more tied to it. And this is what I want us to explore today. I, I, was remember, I remembered a story and a verse of Scripture uh, that I tapped into when I was first a follower of Jesus. And many of y'all, if you don't know my story, I, I am in many ways connected to this congregation and to this location and to this space, predominantly in the other building. Uh, because this building wasn't here when my family attended church. But when I first became a follower of Jesus, there was a pastor on the team at the former Good Shepherd Church. You know him as, uh, as, as Tom Rule, Reverend Rule, who was such a, uh, such a mentor to me. And Tom Rule saw something in me that it, at a time I didn't even see in myself. And, uh, and he invited me to breakfast one morning, and, uh, and that breakfast turned into almost a weekly encounter where we would meet in the clock restaurant. How many of y'all remember the clock restaurant? Yeah, I, I talked to somebody last night on our West Campus, and they came up after church, and they said, I remember the clock restaurant because I would skip Sunday school and go over there and eat. And I said, don't tell anybody that you did that. And so anyhow, uh, we were meeting together, and I'll never forget that Pastor Tom told me one time, he said, Dale, I just want to ask you a simple question. Do you really want to grow up in your faith? And I said, you know, as a 16-year-old boy, I said, I do. And he said, no, I mean, really, do you really want to grow up in your faith? And I said, I, I do. And he said, then make a daily habit of reading God's Word. I said, okay. You're serious about that? He said, I'm serious about it. And he said, not only that, he said, even the parts you don't understand, he said, you just, you need to in God's word and God is going to take you through his spirit through what you need to know and you need to learn. Now think about this for a moment. I'm a 16 year old boy, every bit a 16 year old boy, every bit a 16 year old boy. And one, and I was struggling in different areas of my life with self-control and learning about this value, and at times feeling rather defeated about that in my own life. And one, one day, uh, taking up Tom's challenge, I was reading in the Scriptures, and I came upon uh, this verse of Scripture. And so whenever I read it, I think about my experience with Pastor Tom. 
And Paul is writing in Romans chapter 7, and this is what he says in verse 18 and 19. Paul writes, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And I, I remember reading that for the first time thinking, goodness gracious, here I am as a, as a 16-year-old struggling with certain areas of my own life, and here I am reading from the great Apostle Paul, the author of almost two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's saying the very, he is naming the very war that I'm experiencing in my life and, and he's experiencing in his life, and I learned right there that God loved me too. Now, what I want to tell you this morning is this is an important conversation. And what I want to do is I want to invite you into this conversation. And I want to show you uh, some, some, I think, really important words that Paul says to a young associate around this conversation. That though they're often thought of as covered up in history, they have tremendous relevance for this morning. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in a very, um, you know, uh, nondescript little letter tucked in the back uh, of the Paul Testament where Paul is writing to a friend by the name of Titus. And Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, these powerful words that we're going to look at this morning. Here's what he writes. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, what I would believe many of us are aspiring uh, toward. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good and what is right. These then are the things, Titus, you should teach. Encourage one another and rebuke with all the authority that you're given and don't let anyone despise you for your lack of leadership. And so uh, Titus is, uh, is receiving this instruction from the Apostle Paul. Now here's what I want you to know for those of you who may be interested. Scholars think that that Paul wrote this letter roughly the same time he was writing the letters to Timothy. And so most of the time when we think about Paul and his specific relationship with his associate or with his, his uh, surrogate, many of us think of only the relationship between Paul and Timothy. But here's what I want you to know. It's important for us. There was also a relationship between Paul and Titus. And scholars believe that actually Titus was the one that Paul sent to the Isle of Crete to be the one who would lead the churches there. And so Paul is writing this important letter and he's he's encouraging him not only in his pastoral leadership, but he's doing what I think Paul did best. Paul had this way to not only encourage a a perspective of leadership in someone's life, but also to encourage them in their faith at the very same time. And so really what I want to challenge you to do this morning is let's sort of get into the story. Let's invite ourselves into the narrative. And let's, as it were, think of ourselves as as fellow associates of 
of Paul the Apostle, where Paul is not only encouraging our leadership, but also encouraging the development of our faith this morning, too. And Paul begins to write about the subject of self-control. Remember, this keystone value upon which all the other values connect. And as Paul is writing on this, um, he, he really lifts up, I think, three points that are really, really important, can really help us for anybody who has ever one time struggled with self-control. Can I see a hand? Some of you should put up two hands. Amen. All right. And Paul says some very important things. Here's the first thing he says that draw, I'm drawn to. He, he says this in this beautiful way. He says, first of all, it is God's grace that appears to us. Now this is, I want to just pause here for a moment. And as a, and as a communicator, I could spend my whole time just on these words. I'm not going to do it, but I want to do it. And so Paul is saying it is God's grace uh, that appears to us. Now, we've, we've heard, maybe you've heard before, grace, for those of you who don't know, grace is uh, to receive what you don't deserve. That's what a grace is. Mercy is not to receive what you do deserve. That's what mercy is. Uh, sometimes I remember, uh, uh, you know, learning that, that grace, and uh, another definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And so um, uh, Paul is writing to, to Titus, and this is what he says. It is God's grace that appears to us. And in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God appears that offers salvation to all people. And he uses this word, appears, and the word in the original language is epiphania, which it's where it's the word that we get, uh, where we get the word epiphany, which means like this, this thing we just noticed. When Paul this aha moment. I was thinking of how to best communicate this. And so when Paul is writing, here's what he's saying. First of all, with respect to self-control, there is a grace, there is a, there is a, there is a way that God has come to us to, to show us that there is a way out of our current problem. You ever, you ever felt stuck in a situation? And Paul is, saying, Paul is saying to Titus, we have to remember that God's grace appears to us in a way that shows us that there's a way out. I, I was thinking about this. I was remembering, uh, I think it was a year or two back. Maybe you remember this. I want to show you a picture. There, do you remember those uh, 10 or 12 boys that were soccer uh, players who got stuck uh, in a cave in Thailand through a monsoon? How many of y'all remember that? Just so. Yeah, a lot of us in this room remember that. And, and it was this incredible story. They were there in a soccer tournament in Thailand. And they had their one day off between games. Their 25-year-old coach takes them uh, just on an exploration. They go into this cave and it starts to rain. Actually, it starts to monsoon. They didn't know. And they made the critical error. Instead of running out of the cave, they ran back in the cave. And the water came up and it cut them off. And as the water continued to rise, this is what's so scary about this moment, as the water continued to rise, they continued to run back until they were two and a half miles in the cave. And the water had come, off, come up, it had cut them off. Uh, for all they knew, they were not going to be found. They were in there for nine days, uh, sitting on a rock, huddled all together, just above the water's uh, surface. And so, if you can imagine, this was a horrible situation, but they discovered, those who rescued them discovered, first of all, that they were in there, 
And they mounted an effort. It became sort of world news. They mounted an effort to get all of these kids out. It cost two divers their lives. But this effort involved 100 divers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, 700 diving cylinders, and the displacement of over a billion, that's with a B, liters of water to get them out. But there was this moment. Now think with me about this. This is the idea that, that Paul's trying to communicate. God's grace appearing to us. Can you imagine being there thinking you're cut off from the world? Nobody knows you're in here. You're thinking time's going to run out. You're either going to drown or you're just going to starve to death or run out of oxygen. And all of a sudden, down in this water, in the pitch darkness, you see light. And then you see the bubble of activity. And then you see two divers pop their heads out. And you know in that moment, there's a way out. This is what Paul's trying to communicate. God's grace appeared when we were most in our most desperate situation and offered a way out. It's kind of more personal for me. A couple years ago, I was with a friend and I, you know, growing up in Florida, everything water, just love anything to do with the water, but I'd never gone scuba diving. And I've done a lot of snorkeling. And so my friend said, hey, let's go. Uh, I want to show you how to scuba dive. So he, he takes me in his boat. We go over near uh, the Singer Island Bridge. We get into the shallows over there. He puts all the gear on me. And uh, he starts to teach me how to, to scuba dive. And so we're only underwater. We were in like four feet of water. And so I'm, I'm underwater. And I feel, you know, much like a pro. And, and, and we're doing all that. Then finally, we get through. And he said, he goes, there's a, there's a reef that's just off of, of the Breakers Hotel. He said, let's go out and see the reef together. He goes, you can't go down as far as I can, but you can see it a little bit. So uh, we go out there. I put the same tank on. We, 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 we get all ready. First time I've ever done this. We jump off the boat. You know, no, no fear. He descends. I have my, the, the weight belt on. I couldn't get it regulated right. And before I know it, I'm 100 feet under the water. First last night I've done this in my life. First time I've actually ever told this, told this story publicly to outside of last night. And so I, I'm 100 feet down in the water and, and he didn't see me at first. And, I, and, and I, I descend down there. I'm looking at the beauty of the reef and I take a breath of air and it stops. And it dawned on me right in that moment, right in that moment, this is the flash what I had in my mind. I thought if... If I panic right now, I'm going to drown. That was the thought. And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. You know, obviously time is ticking along and I see my friend and he just happened in that instant to look back at me. First, he looked at me like, what the heck are you doing here? And then secondly, I did this. I just went, nothing. And as quick as a flash, he came over and grabbed me, gave me the other uh, you know, respirator that, that comes on, hit, on your tank, shoved it into my mouth, and we began to ascend till we got to 25 feet down. Of course, had to wait uh, for a minute or so before we went the rest of the way. He hauled me back in the boat, and he said, don't ever tell anybody this happened. And I said, I'm a preacher, fat chance on that. 
But, you know, had it not been for my friend in that moment, I mean, here's what is very clear. I would have drowned. And so, so Paul is writing and he's saying this, the, the first thing that we need to remember is, is God's miraculous grace has appeared to us to show us wherever we are right now with whatever circumstance we're in, there's a way out. And then he goes on, it's like an epiphany, and then he goes on and he says this, and it is God's grace not only that appeared to us, but it's God's grace that teaches us. And in verse 11, if you're, if you're uh, or I should say this, in verse 12, he says it this way. He said, God's grace uh, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to be able then to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And we know that this understanding, when he's saying he teaches us, he presupposes our willingness to learn. There's been lots of studies in recent years about this character trait of, self, uh, of self-control. And they're connecting a couple of things to it. One is this issue of self-care. And this idea that most of us right now in our society are living overwhelmed, over-anxious, over-committed, and over-tired lives. Am I describing anybody in this room? And it erodes our ability to stay strong and hold on to what ultimately matters. I've never met as a pastor with anybody in a desperate situation in their life that said they planned to get there. But I've met lots of people who have actually said this to me. I, in fact, don't know how I got here. I don't know how I blew up my marriage. I don't know how I've been disenfranchised from my kids. I don't know how I lost my job. I don't know how my dreams haven't come true. I don't know... Uh, how I develop this compulsion. I don't know how I develop this habit. A lot of it they're saying right now could be measured back to a lack of self-care. They're also saying sometimes it could be measured back to just a lack of common sense. And that most who are doing better at the area of self-control are actually uh, people who are willing to listen to this, even pre-decide how it is we might uh, avoid the areas in our lives that we're most prone to struggle with. One of the things I'm so excited about is there's been such a proliferation among men and women in our culture with the subject of pornography. And it used to be you had to go find it somewhere. Now all you have to do is click. And uh, this Wednesday night on our East Campus, we're starting for men. We've got a group called Conquer. I think we, there it is. And I, I just shame as a pastor sometimes, both with men and women, honestly, we could just remove the shame around this area and we could just say, you know, if you're struggling here, why don't you come out of the shadows? Why don't you go to this group and why don't you find the help that, that you can find in a, in a group like this? Because they're connecting things like self-control, not only to self-care and not only to common sense, but to better friends. Proverbs, uh, uh, Solomon, when he was writing the book of Proverbs, he says this, I want to put it on the screen, if you walk with the wise, you become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So God's grace appears, God's grace teaches us, and let me just say this in closing, God's grace empowers us. My favorite verse of, of, of Scripture around uh, temptation and self-control actually happens in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, where Paul says, there is actually no temptation overtaking you about what, that, what is common. And God's faithful, not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, will provide a way out. 
See, God's still doing, uh, offering to us an epiphany. And some of us need to say, Lord, just show me the way out. And I'll take it. King David, when he was writing one time, said this in Psalm 121. I close with this. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help from come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Scholars think that when he was writing this, uh, they were nomadic, and he was a nomadic leader. And scholars believe that there was this moment where, where David was penning these words. And, uh, and he was, you know, in a crevice of a hill and in a valley, and he was looking up to the mountains, scholars think, and he could see the sentry guards who were stationed on the mountains overlooking the great king of Israel to care for him. And David was reminded in that moment that as the sentry guards are protecting us, there is above them a great God in heaven will protect us too. So he asks that historic rhetorical question, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This morning, before we close, we're going to receive communion. And communion is always a reminder that God's help and God's grace is available to us. This is really just a tangible expression of God's grace, right? Where we remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. And then the Bible says, after supper, he took a common cup and he gave thanks to the Father and he turned to the disciples and he said, I want you to take this cup and drink from it and remember that this is my blood that is shed for you. And so Jesus was reminding us that he is the one full final sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's your sin and my sin. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to receive by intention and we're going to have our 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 guests who will our friends who will serve us uh, be in their spot we have a gluten station in the back if you struggle with those issues uh, available to you and it's just a reminder that he's still offering his epiphany of his appearance and the wisdom of his teaching take him up on his offer let's pray lord thanks for your grace Uh, thanks that you're here Thanks that you formed us and you know us. We are but dust. But Lord, in this space, would you remind us, O God, that you are offering to us help that is available to those of us who struggle in areas of temptation and struggle in areas of self-control. Remind us, O God, that this is an important conversation for our lives, for our futures, for our families, for our faith battle. And remind us, O God, that you've not left us ill-equipped for this battle at hand. Uh, Lord, allow us to search our heart this morning as we come by your grace and we receive the meal set out before us. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And now the table is set. Will you come as you feel led? just want to say that this is such a sweet time. God is here with His Spirit. And uh, I just want to say, I want to offer a benediction, but I don't want us to leave this space if 
God is speaking to you and saying some things. I just feel very strongly that the Lord is saying some important things to some of us in our hearts. I want to remind everyone we have a prayer space over here. We have a a team that would just love to just, in all the right ways, just pray for you. Uh, But let's pray together if we can. God, I love you and I thank you for this space. And these words that Keith and the team are sharing just are so, they're so true of where so many of us are. Lord, thank you for grace that, that is there in our struggle and the failure. But thank you, Lord, for grace that gives us an epiphany and an appearance that there is a better way out. Help us, O oh God, to walk in that truth. Restore unto us, Lord, our salvation and the joy that comes with it. This we pray in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Go in His peace.